We've been going through the book of John, still near the very beginning, John chapter 2. We're just going to look at a few verses at the end of the chapter this morning. The purpose of the book of John, if you don't remember, is to cause us to believe in Jesus and to have life in his name. All through the book of John, the word believe is repeated over and over and over again. And at the end, John says, these things have been written that you may believe and that believing you may have life in his name. And so we've already in the first two chapters seen the word believe used numerous times. And in a sense, the whole book becomes then about what it means to believe. What does it mean to believe? We read about Jesus having performed his first miracle of turning water into wine publicly, and then we read about him taking charge of the temple, the house of his father, and driving out those who were perverting it into a money-making scheme. And so Jesus, between those two acts, has now declared and demonstrated his authority over nature and over religion. All right? He has stated, I am God over creation, and I am God over the worship that I have instituted. I am in charge of what happens in the natural world, and I am in charge of what happens at worship within the temple. The temple being the focal point of the worship of God's people, right? And so when he takes control of the temple and casts out the people who were doing things that weren't commanded, he's not just saying, God said this. He's saying, I have the authority to do this. That's why the people asked him, by what authority do you do these things? Right? So between those two things, Jesus has claimed authority over all of creation and over all of the worship that we are commanded to give. And the next thing we read, which is our passage this morning, is that a large number of people believed in his name. So this is the first time that we read that a large number of people believed. And since the whole point of the book of John is that people would believe, right, you'd expect that John would spend a lot of time on this fact that a lot of people believed. He did this miracle, and then he did that, and he demonstrated that he is in charge. He demonstrated that he's the Messiah. He just demonstrated that he's God. And a lot of people believed, and so you expect that there would be a bunch of rejoicing over this fact in the book of John, that John would delight in that and celebrate it, make a big point of it, but instead we see something very different, very odd, in fact. So please stand for the reading of God's word from John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Now when he, which is Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name 
observing his signs which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men, and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. It's interesting, if you look at the verses, just in these two verses, the word believed is used twice. Now, you're not going to notice it in the English translation because it's translated two different ways here. But in verse 23, we read that many believed in his name. But then in verse 24, it says Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them. And that word entrusting is the same word in Greek, believed, okay? So it says that the people believed, but that Jesus didn't believe in them. That's the gist of what you see. You see this this cross purposes between the people and Jesus. It says they believed in him, but he didn't believe in them. Now, the reason it's translated as entrusting himself to them is because it's a good translation. You use it a slightly different way, and what does it mean to entrust yourself to somebody, but to believe that they are what? Trustworthy. Does that make sense? And so Jesus wasn't giving himself to them in trust, despite the fact that they believed in him. So why did Jesus not believe them for himself? Well, the answer is because he knows what they are, right? It says, says why? It says he wasn't entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. So the first thing we need to see this morning is that these people, despite the fact that they believed, there was something wrong with their belief, wasn't there? There was a major problem. And we'll see as time goes on that many of the followers of Jesus, people who believed, are described as having turned away from him. They're described as having believed, and they're described as having turned away. Okay? So what's the takeaway from this? Well, there's, there's two ways of interpreting this. One way of interpreting it says that uh, you can be saved and then not saved at any given moment. And then saved again and then not saved be a Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ, and then somebody who doesn't believe, and then somebody who does believe. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that because that's not what the overall teaching of the Bible is. All right? And so as we look at this passage, and we see that these people are described as believing and that Jesus doesn't entrust himself to them, what we see here the easiest way to understand it is not that 
they believed, but that then later on they might not believe. Rather, the easiest way to understand this passage is to think of belief and to see that there are different ways of believing and that there are ways of believing that are of no eternal benefit to us. So what do I mean by that? Well, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? If you ask people in the United States, say, whether they believe in Jesus, you'll get a lot of answers, but by and large, the answer that you will get is yes. But does that mean that they are Christians, that they are saved, that on the day of judgment that they will be brought into Christ's kingdom for all eternity, united with him, with joy? No, it doesn't mean that, does it? How do we know? Well, we know because Jesus himself says that on that day, there will be people who say, but Lord, did we not claim your name? You know, Did we not cast out demons in your name? And he will say what? Depart from me, I never knew you. Now, are you, do you see that those people who said, but Lord, did we not? They believed, did they not? They had some, they had some type of belief. And yet, that belief was not profitable for them, for their eternal souls. So what is that belief? Well, let me give you a few different examples of ways of believing that are of no eternal benefit for you. There are those who admit that Jesus was a great prophet and that his miracles prove that he came from God, and yet they deny his divinity. This is the entire class of uh, people among which a large contingent are Muslims. Right? Muslims will say that Jesus was indeed a great prophet from God. But he was not God. Right? Well, that is a way of believing in Jesus. To believe that he was a great prophet sent from God is to believe something about Jesus. To believe that he existed, to believe that he was sent by God. Right? And yet, is it believing in a way that will lead to having life in his name? No. It's not. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And yet anyone who believes that Jesus was simply a great prophet is not seeking to come to the Father through Jesus Christ. Right? And so they will not have life in his name. But you may say, well, that's not really believing, you know. Shouldn't we, shouldn't we limit, when we say they believe, shouldn't we limit that to people who actually believe, you know, what Jesus claims about himself? Okay, maybe. 
But even there, we have a group of people who are of not benefiting eternally, whose souls are not saved. That is to say, men who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but who hope in him only in this life. Okay? In other words, people who are not looking to Jesus Christ for the cleansing of their sins, but rather for the filling of their checkbook. Oh, I know I need Jesus. Right? You, you talk to people and, oh yeah, I know I need Jesus. Because I got a lot of needs that are unmet here and now. Oh, I need Jesus because I need a job. Oh, I need Jesus because, just fill in the blank, right? This is the, this is the entire basis of the health and wealth gospel. It's a proclamation of Jesus. Jesus is the one who will save you. Jesus is your Messiah. Jesus will give you what you need. And all of these things are true, right? And those who claim to believe in Jesus at that point, and yet who are looking to him only for what? So that their bodies may be saved from their sin, so that their checkbooks may be saved from their sin, and not even from their sin, right? But simply from the problems that have been imposed on them by this cruel world. Is that a belief that leads to life in his name? No. You go back to the work, the signs that Jesus had performed, and it, and it seems clear that there's other signs that John isn't telling us about when he says they saw the signs that Jesus was performing. We've got the miracle of the uh, turning water into wine in Cana, and you also have the cleansing of the temple. Those are clearly signs, right, that cover categorically the entirety of what Jesus had to prove to them that he's Lord over religion and that he's Lord over nature. There was nothing else that needed to be done, and yet it says they saw the signs that he was performing, and so what were those signs? Well, potentially healing people, right? We see other times where he feeds thousands of people. And then later the, the people are following him around, and they what do they want? Well, Jesus says... To paraphrase, all you want is bread. All you want is more food. Thousands of people following him, and what Jesus says is, they just, they just want stuff here and now. Or you think of the Jews and their expectations of what the Messiah would be, what the Messiah would accomplish on their behalf. 
And you remember later on that Jesus escapes at one point, hides himself because he says that the people were about to make him king by force, right? It's sort of this weird thing. Well, why would you, you know, he is a king, so what's your problem? I'm making him king. Well, the problem is that what they want, what they believe in, is wrong. And so, yeah, they believe in Jesus. They believe he's the Messiah. They believe he's the Messiah so much that they're ready to put him on the throne right now. Right? They're ready to start a revolution over the fact that Jesus is Messiah. Jesus. He's the one we've been waiting for. Oh yeah, we believe in him, buddy. This is... And what does it end up being? Well, what's their hope from a Messiah? Is there hope that their eternal souls will be saved from the sins that they have committed? Have they been looking forward to a Savior that God would send who would rescue them from their sin? Or have they been looking forward to a Savior that God would send who would rescue them from their troubles here and now, the Roman conquerors, who are making their life miserable by collecting taxes? Why have you looked to Jesus? What have you believed in? If our hope is in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied, Paul says. What sort of belief is that? A worthless belief. A belief that is of no eternal benefit and makes us of all people most to be pitied. third way of believing that leads to no benefit <clears throat> that would put us in this category of people that Jesus just dismisses, won't entrust himself to, right, is a group of people who give mental assent to Christian doctrine, but it never touches their heart. Mental assent. Oh, yes. I believe that Jesus was born. I believe that Jesus died. I believe he lived a perfect life. I believe he is the way to God. I believe there's no hope of getting to God apart from him. I believe all of those things. I know all of those things are true. And then you got two... You, you've got two ways of believing all of that, all right? You can believe all of that, and then you can cast your hope on Jesus Christ in order to be saved, or you can believe all of that and then refuse to trust in him. You still believe it all, right? And so we, this is the, the statement, you believe that God is one, good. Even the demons believe and shudder. What is that belief? 
It's a damning belief. A knowledge of the truth that leads ultimately only to death because we reject the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, I know it's not, it's not, uh, it's not very offensive for me to say there are some people who have heard all of this stuff who know it's true and then who essentially flip God the bird and say, well, I don't care. I, I know it's true, but I'm going to live the way I want, right? And for me to say, well, those people are going to hell isn't offensive, right? We know that people who shake their fist at God, God will condemn. This is the beauty of Job when, when, when he refuses to curse God and die as his wife tells him to do, right? But let me take this a step further and say there are people who are in that same category who believe all of these things and yet have no saving faith and aren't actively living a life of rejection and hatred of God in a way that you would see and understand and recognize. Okay? What do I mean by this? Well, I mean, there are people who fit into this category who attend church every week. There are people who fit into this category who are in Christian homes. They know the catechism. They've learned it from the time they were young. They, they went to VBS and they memorized the Bible verses. They know all of the hymns. Every day they go to they live life as a Christian, okay? They live life as a Christian. They have mentally assented in their minds. They say, yeah, Jesus is the God-man. Jesus lived and died. Yeah, I have no hope apart from him. And yet, they neither say, forget about it, I'm just going to do what I want, nor do they ever give anything beyond that mental, cerebral belief to the things of God. you see what I'm talking about? What sort of belief is that? It's the same sort of belief as the one who then says, I'm going to do what I want. It's just as possible to have that empty belief in the church as it is to have that empty belief outside of the church. This is so important for us to remember. 
Why? Well, because you don't want to be that person. You don't want to be that person who has mentally understood with their brain and yet it has never touched your heart. We need our hearts to be regenerated. We need to be born again. And this is immediately where John goes after this. It makes so much sense when you see the crowds believed and Jesus dismisses their belief. And and why? Well, because he knows what is in man. And what is in man? Well, I'm skipping ahead a little bit. But what's in us is our heart, right? And he knows that their hearts have not been changed. They have not been regenerated. They have not been born again. So many people down through the ages, growing up in Christian homes, being a part of Christian families, being a part of the church as adults, married to Christian married to pastors, preaching week in, week out, pastors themselves who are converted years, decades, after you would have thought, well, they know, they believe. And yet one day, their heart is regenerated. And they're given new life. What has happened? They have believed. And now their belief is credited to them as righteousness. There's another sort of belief that is useless, and in a sense, this is a test for seeing whether your belief is real. Belief that doesn't lead to sanctification. Belief, this is just another way of saying belief that doesn't lead to a change, right? Belief that doesn't lead to a change is no true belief at all. James is a book focusing on this problem in a lot of ways. We read in James 2, 19 and 20, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. I already said that. Now the next verse says, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Faith without works is useless. So what's he saying? Well, what he's saying is, Belief leads to change. The change that is wrought within us by God by necessity leads to good works. Not to bad works. And so... 
this is, like I said, in some ways a test. Do you believe? Yes, I believe. You've given mental assent. Good. Good. Now, have you been changed in such a way that your works are producing fruit for God rather than fruit from the vine, the false vine of Satan? I want to take a minute here and <clears throat> I want to talk about signs because it says that the people saw the signs that Jesus was performing. And the first thing that I want to say about signs is that observing signs isn't enough. Observing a signs is not going to cut it. And this is helpful for us for ourselves, for our own fears, our own temptations and faithlessness, right? Because often what we want to do is we want to do exactly what the unbeliever wants to do, which is to say, well, if God would just give me a sign. Don't we want to do that? If God would just give me a sign. The unbeliever will often say something along the lines of, you know, I don't see why God didn't what? Inevitably, it's a sign. Whether it's, um, you know, why did, he give us, why did he give us a written word that had to be handed down by men and that has to be translated for us to read? Why can't he just speak directly to me? If God would, what they're saying is, if God would just speak, I would... Well, you'd have to listen. <laughs> what? Believe. Yeah, if God would just speak, if he would just give me a sign, I would believe. But there is no sign. Never mind this sign, the word, right? This sign is an incredible sign, and yet, no, no, no. Well, let's leave that to the side for a second. What if God spoke? If God spoke to me from heaven, I'd believe in him. Okay, good. What kind of belief would you have? Would you have the kind of belief that's now pissed off because you feel obligated to do what God says? Would you be overjoyed that God had spoken and revealed himself to you, or would you just be ticked off? Right? Would you believe like the demons, or would you believe... In faith. Yeah, you'd believe. But the fact of the matter is you believe right now. You know there's a God. You know that he demands that you live a holy life, and you just don't like it. You believe. And your belief condemns you. And so observing signs isn't enough, is it? 
people at the time of Jesus had Jesus himself performing miracles. And it says they believed, and yet, what kind of belief was it? Likewise, deciding that you want to be a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. Okay? There are lots of reasons why people want to be Christians. Maybe they like a Christian, so they want to be a Christian, so that they can get what they want. Right? Maybe they want to fit in. There's a group of friends that are Christians, so they want to be Christians, so they can get what they want. You start to see the theme here, right? So that we can get what we want. When what we want is not that God's name would be glorified in our lives, but rather so that we can have the lusts of our heart fulfilled. As though ever being a follower of Jesus Christ could lead to the fulfillment of the lusts of our heart. Maybe they just feel like they should. It's, you know, it's the, it's the right thing, but really I should be a Christian. Does that make you a believer in Jesus Christ? No. How does that come? What does that come from? Often it comes from that sort of mental assent to the truths. Yes, I see the truths. I don't particularly like them, but I feel like I should... Admit they are true. And so often I've heard of people who have decided for Christ, who've made decisions for the Lord, however, whatever terminology you want to use. And often you never hear anything about that person again. Why? Well, because. They're never united to Christ's body in fellowship. Their life is never changed. What sort of decision is that? A decision to be a Christian that is filled with an empty belief. It flows from Charles Finney and many others like him with false theology that claims that there is no distinction in kinds of belief. If you can just get people to say they want to be a Christian, they've made a decision to be a Christian. And that's it. They are now a Christian. That style, of that, that way of understanding belief is ultimately the way that leads us to on-again, off-again, Christian, non-Christian. Saved, not saved. Saved again, not saved again. Right? Because if there's only one kind of belief, if you have it, you are a Christian. And then when you don't have it, you're no longer a Christian. It's even more painful when we see that people turn away from Christ after having come into his church. 
after having spent a time living what appeared to be a fruitful life. Think of the warning of Simon Magus and others in the New Testament. What's our takeaway? Well, the takeaway has to be it is not our goal to have people deciding for Christ. Jesus was not satisfied to have the crowds believe in him. John is not impressed that many believed. John's whole goal in writing the book is that many would believe and that believing they would have life in his name. So Jesus sees that many believe in him. And after he sees that many believe in him, it says he was not entrusting himself to them because he knew something about them. And ultimately, what did he know? He knew what kind of belief they had. He knew what was in the heart of man. He knew their hearts. This is just another sign for us, of Jesus' divinity. Man, you and I, we look at the outward appearance and what does it say about God? What does it say about Jesus? He looks at the heart. And so he looked at their hearts and what did he see? Proverbs 21.2 says, Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. The heart is what? Desperately wicked and deceitful above all else. Who can know it? Jesus knows it. And so he knew the hearts of this crowd. And not only did he know their hearts, but he knows what is in us as a race. That our hearts are wicked. So how are we to make sense of call to believe. Do I want you to believe? Yes, I want you to believe. How do we make sense of Acts 16, 30? It says, after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That's the gospel, Right? So why have I spent this whole time talking about you've got, to, you've got to more than believe? Or you've got to have the right kind of belief? Well, the reason is because I don't want you to be left with false belief. I don't want you to be left with belief that is of no benefit for your eternal souls. I don't want you to be left with the kind of belief that the demons have. 
and I don't want you to be satisfied with that sort of belief in other people. Is it good enough for us as a church that the people around us claim to believe in Jesus? No. Why? Why is it not good enough for us? Because we're so much better than them? No. It's because we want more for them. We want more out of God and his word. Do you see how that's more, getting more out of God and his word? It's because in that way people are saved. We're not content only for them to be condemned by their knowledge. We seek that they would be saved by their faith. And this is the difference between the two kinds of belief, ultimately. It's a belief that is faith and a belief that is just connecting to your brain, mental assent to facts, no change having been wrought. And so what do we have to do? Do we believe in Jesus Christ? Well, let me flip it around again and use that same translation. Have you entrusted yourself to him? Entrusted yourself to him. What does it look like for us to entrust ourselves to Christ, to believe in Christ? Heart, body, and soul. It means if you entrust yourself to him, you have given yourself to him. You're not your own any longer. You are someone who has been bought with a price. If you entrust yourself to him, you will do his deeds. If you entrust yourself to him, you will seek that his will would be done, not in your life only, but in all of the world. So are you angry when you feel the pressure to have your life changed by his commands, affected, you're going to have to change. That's not life in his name, is it? Being upset that something has to change, do you wish he would leave you alone in your sin? No, that's not what we want. No, what we want is for him to come in and grab us out of our sin and, yeah, change us and rip that stuff out of us. Make us new, holy, pleasing to him. 
have faith in his name. So do you feel the waywardness of your own heart? Your lack of desire in this? Think of the people in the temple. The signs that they saw. The fact that they believed. You don't want to be them. And now probably some of you are wondering, well, am I, am I them? Right? I don't want to be them. I want to be saved. Saved from what? Saved from what's in my heart. The wickedness that's in me. Congratulations. Believe. And you'll have life in his name. Do you see? If what you want out of Jesus Christ is that you would be saved from your sins, he has promised, and he will fulfill his promise, and you will be rescued, no matter how wicked you are. But if you, what you want out of Jesus is a stable life, security, lack of pain and sorrow and misery, enough money, not having to live trusting him day by day. If what you want out of Jesus is the excitement of seeing signs, your health and plenty of wealth, You've believed as a demon believes. And there is no hope. No hope eternally and no hope for those things. Because you're not worshiping God. You're worshiping those things. And you're trying to use God He won't be mocked. Your money will slip through your fingers. Your house will fall down around you. Whatever those things are, your health will deteriorate. Whatever those things are that you're worshiping, you'll get just enough to realize how hopeless it is. then what? My call to you this morning is to turn to Jesus Christ. Don't wait till the end when it's too late. Turn to Jesus Christ. Believe on him. 
who died, not so that you could fulfill your lusts. He died so that your sins could be forgiven. And if you hope in him for that, His promise is everlasting. And his salvation is sure. And his mind cannot be changed. And his hand is powerful. And he will shelter you under the shadow of his wings. And so rejoice in it. Give yourselves to living according to that promise. Let's pray.